You're listening to She Likes to Go Slow, a podcast where we encourage you to uh, slow down and listen. And I have my friend Amanda Collins here today, who normally we greet each other as dude, because dude is kind of like aloha. It's like, hello, I love you. Goodbye. And I haven't seen you in a long time, so I'm glad to see you here in the van. Is it comfortable? It's awesome. It's. I'm going to move in here. <laughs> Can you describe it to people who haven't done the podcast? Um... Physically, no, I don't want to describe it physically, but energy wise, it is like being tucked in to a weighted blanket in front of a fire. That's a good description and a good reason why I keep putting money into it to keep it. Even if it stays in my driveway, this is where I can go. Everything else is gone. This is amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. So we're sipping some tea on a fall day. I'm grieving my pine tree that I lost in the front yard, but I know that its energy is still here looking over us. And uh, we're going to talk about whatever. So we go back, oh, how many years? (sighs) 20... I don't know, 15? Probably at least. At least. Uh, The first time I think, the first time I met you was, and and I met you and then I didn't see you for a long time because I flew in to visit my sister Mm -hmm. and she took me to a show that you were doing. Mm -hmm. And I was maybe mid-20s mm-hmm. and I'm significantly older than that now <laughs> so I think the first time I met you was probably 25 26 years ago right and you're one of those friends I might not see every month or whatever but you know when I see you we're just like we've always been we've always been enmeshed and entangled in each other completely so we're just going to talk about whatever we want to today, and we kind of were just starting off a minute ago for some reason talking about OCD stuff, and uh, I was mentioning how I used to do flea markets, and people would have, a, I would have this screwdriver set, and I would take one screwdriver out and place it across the rest of the screwdrivers, and people could not help themselves. They had to keep putting it back in the slot, and then I had my own little problem of not wanting to take the first little plastic container to cover your pop at a... Uh, at a fast food store and I've broken myself from that one but um you were saying how you kind of are beyond all that now well I I think I'm and just for the record um buffets are still gross (laughs) so I get the whole top lid thing Mm -hmm. I will I will process and do a buffet uh especially in jackpot (laughs) But it does gross me out a little bit. But their prime rib is ridiculous, so I will do the buffet. But same principle. Um, where were we? <laughs> Just the whole organization. organization. <laughs> yes, organization. Yeah, I. so I had... I was incredibly scattered for a long time. A lot of it tied to... Alcohol and drug abuse. The alcohol abuse, I think most people knew. You knew. I got loaded way too often, probably. I, I think anybody who knew me knew how much I, I drank. Um, 
a lot of people didn't know that there was some hardcore drug use that mm. came on with that and sort of was tucked underneath it. Um, it was socially acceptable to kind of be seen as um, as a drunk, but not really as a junkie of any sort. Mm-hmm. So um, if you lead with the drunk, then, then people overlook the drug abuse, I think, a little bit. Um, but so I was incredibly sort of scattered and disorganized and, and, um, and now I've gotten to the point where there is about 35% of, of my life that is beautifully structured and clean and logical and sequential and driven. And then the other 65% of my life is no longer chaos, but it is beautifully random. And like there's this huge difference between having just faith in the universe and beautiful random things happening and letting go of, of your ability to control those things because ultimately you can't. Um, And and the chaos that I used to sit in. Um, so my whole life is organized now, but it's organized into structure and random mm-hmm. versus chaos and more chaos. If you feel like talking about it, what kind of chaos did you come from? Um, way far back or the chaos during my drinking? Before. Before the drinking? Yeah, way far back. So, way far back, um, I had a, as a kid, I had an early realization that I had no control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stems from some childhood abuse um, that the, the incidences of childhood abuse were such that it reinforced the fact that I was not in control of my life, my choices, um, or my anxiety. And I think that that, in order to create some sort of illusion of control, I drank. Mm-hmm. And I started drinking the first time I, I got loaded and lied about it. And knew that I could get away with lying about it. I was 13. Mm. And thus began sort of a long career. And I call it a career because it's work. Mm -hmm. It is some serious work to be relatively productive and be as drunk as I was and as high as I was. Um, Yeah, it started a a really long and, and illustrious career of... Uh, being a real asshole <laughs> and uh, and coping, you know, I say being a being a jerker, um, but but it was truly the thing that I needed um, because the bottom line is uh, alcohol and alcoholism, I think, saved my life then. And sobriety has saved my life now. Mm-hmm. So. Alcohol has served me well in both the mass consumption and in the quitting of that consumption. Um, So, yeah, but it was, I I never knew where 
the next thing that was going to spark fear in me was coming from when Mm -hmm. it was coming um, or how intense it was going to be or how long it was going to be. It was sort of a state of terror Mm -hmm. and the best way to get rid of fear and terror is just to numb it. Mm-hmm. You say you were a jerk, but at least back in the time that I had met you, you always seemed really positive. I, I think it was a... I always had a... I always knew deep down inside that there was a spiritual nature to who I was. Um, but I think when I say I was a jerk... Um, Alcoholics are amazingly selfish. And those of us who are really good at it know early how to hide that selfishness and manipulate people and um, and get what we think we need from the people around us. And yeah, so when I say I was a jerk, it's it's that the person that I was then makes me feel icky now. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, I, I was never really sure which side of me was going to win out. Mm-hmm. If I was going to, you know, if I was going to just die an asshole, even if nobody else would call me an asshole, I knew I was an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, I can cuss on this, right? Yeah. Just Kay. that much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I'll go back to jerk. <laughs> I've been working on it. Um, or, or if, or if things were going to sort of take over and I was going to find my center again. And I think that was part of the sobriety journey for me was, was identifying that part of me that was real and, and nurturing it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's interesting to look at alcohol as a also a survival skill for you at that time. Yeah, I, you know, I I go to to rooms and and I'm an active participant in my sobriety, so I go to meetings quite often and I hear people really um, throw alcohol under the bus, and I I don't feel that way. You know, um, sometimes I was just uh, too drunk to find a way to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And if that sort of passive way was saving my life, alcohol did that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it bought me false hope, which is a hell of a lot, heck of a lot better <laughs> than uh, having no hope. Even if it was fleeting and even if it didn't really exist, if it was a facade, it got me through. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gave me enough time to get to a point where I realized how sick I was. Mm-hmm. And for that, I will be forever grateful to drugs and alcohol. Uh, grateful that it didn't kill me mm-hmm. and grateful that I can now say goodbye to it on a personal level and and move on with my life Mm -hmm. it's sort of like breaking up yeah you know I had to I had to break up and trust me I cried Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was devastating Mm -hmm. but um but it was a part of my life that I needed at the time so for people who don't know you give us some a little uh glimpse into your 
say, most colorful part of life? Where were you living? What were you doing? What was your life like on a daily basis? Ooh. Most colorful. Not necessarily most healthy. Not necessarily. Okay. <laughs> um, I worked in uh, a sex club in Richmond, Virginia. Wow. And uh, clearly this is before I sobered up. Although I'm sure there are plenty of sober folks <laughs> um, who are in the community, not trying to throw shade at the community. Um, it was a private after-hours club in in conservative Richmond, Virginia. We opened at midnight. Um, I was the last bar. Um, I was the downstairs bar, and I was the last bar to close. So we closed the club whenever I kicked the last person out. It was usually between 8 and 8.30 in the morning. Um, and, yeah, we were a, a fetish club. Wow. And... It was a fun gig. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Was the, it something the public knew about or you just had to know somebody to get in? Um, the public knew that we existed. We were in this beautiful, I loved this building. It was an old uh, carpet factory, four stories, amazing the history the richness it was also haunted mm-hmm. one of the reasons I left I got something thrown at me in the oh. middle of the night and I was like and I'm out um <laughs> but and there were always murmurs in the community uh you know well you know what that club is blah 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 but it was a members only club mm-hmm. so we had to keep it very it was very rigidly protected a lot of our members were public figures and uh, government officials, so we had a vested interest in making sure that um, members and and heavily vetted member guests were the only ones who had access to the club. Wow. Um, every year we had a, a huge ball de sod, um, <laughs> and we brought in fetish vendors, and uh, we had go-go boys and bootlickers the whole nine uh and and this was back in the day so this was yeah this was before the 2000s uh and i was making five or six hundred bucks a night really as a bartender wow um so and it was fun and it was it was i could i could put on another persona uh people only knew me as spike there are people in Richmond who still don't know my real name, um, and it was a great it was a great time. It was a great time. What are some other uh, type of jobs you've had that take you up to who you are now through the years and in different states you've lived in? Mm. Different states and different states of being, right? I I have had a lot of growth and change in my life that I'm grateful for because I get bored really easily. So I've never had to get bored with myself because I've, I've kept the pace up pretty well. I started out when I graduated from high school, I had no idea who I was, what I wanted to be like a lot of kids, right? I had amazingly beautifully supportive parents. They, we, there are three of us kids in the family um and we all took very very different paths my sister and I took 
probably the most similar path. Um, my brother is an engineer, very dry, curt, linear. Uh, my sister, who passed away uh, a few years back, we used to joke that she dropped out of some of the best schools in the country. Um, she would get scholarships to amazing schools and then not go because she found a band that she wanted to play music <laughs> with. Um, and uh, then finally got her, her graduate degree uh, before she got sick. Um, and I was very similar. When I graduated, I, I my, both of our parents were educators, so they were kind of used to the drill. They supported me for a year. I didn't do anything. Uh, I, I lived off of an allowance they gave me. <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit now. But I went from, you know, being um, living in Austin, Texas, with a, a man who is now a dear friend of mine, Gene Williams, who um, is a songwriter and performer in, in, in Oklahoma, in Tulsa. And I, I lived with him down in Texas, and we played music, and we wrote songs. And then I grew up a little bit and moved back, and I put on the hat of uh, sales for a while. And um, I bounced around and was really just unsure of what I wanted to do um, until probably I got sober. So I had some really... I had jobs that fed every aspect of my personality, and you know me pretty well. My personality is fairly f- fractal, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, so I tried to feed every part of it that I could. Mm-hmm. So whether it was an extremely conservative part, which I have, which people are always surprised to hear, there's a part of me that is extremely conservative. Um, that was sort of more the buttoned up uh, office job, mm-hmm. account management, uh, paid parking space, mm-hmm. part of me, um, all the way to, you know, bartender to, um, what I do now, which is strategy work, which is, I think finally more of a, a merger of the two parts of myself. Mm-hmm. It allows me to do that, that sort of project side of me and that structured linear side of me mm-hmm. have merged together to do some some kind of cool strategy work now so um so yeah and for me it hasn't really been about the work it's um every every job every phase of my life has been about uh experiential growth so those things can fall away tomorrow it's it's um it's a black helicopter flying above us. <laughs> um, for me, it's it's about those things that have been opportunities presented to me in order to show me something about myself. And so for everything like that and for every person in my life and for every experience, as horrific or as blessed, um, they're deliberate and um, and they're, they're there to teach me. And so I'm, I'm grateful for them. And I know you've, you've been through some good things and through some tragedies too. So what are some things you use to keep yourself positive? I don't, I, I've seen 
um, people that I, I love dearly lose their lives. And I've, I've had the privilege of, of being a part of that experience. And through sort of bearing witness to that, I have learned what pure joy and release looks like. And so I have tried to keep the rest of my life uncluttered uh, so that so that I will be able to find moments of that purity in things. Uh, so I don't have to wait until I die to experience it. Mm-hmm. I try to experience it in little microbursts everywhere I go, or um, have. The, if I'm not weighted down, I can take ten minutes and stare at a an ant carrying <laughs> something, you know, and just experience it with pure joy, and the understanding that it's all working together. That that the activity of of that ant or that bug or that animal is feeding the greater organism that we all feed. And um, so I've been really blessed um, to, as it has been heartbreaking. I lost my sister slash best friend. Um, but through that, she was one of my biggest teachers because I learned from her struggle with breast cancer and through her through that journey with her what was truly not important but what truly was the point of all of this um, I lost another dear friend of mine uh, three or so years ago who was a friend first through sobriety we had been through that struggle together and she was d- diagnosed with a a horrible condition that uh, put her on a feeding tube for the last couple of years of her life and and uh, it was just full of struggles and pain and, and trauma and through the whole thing she stayed sober which I thought was remarkable um, I would hope I would have that kind of fortitude but I'm not sure I would um, she wouldn't even take painkillers mm-hmm. because she, you know, the use right? Vicodin level yeah. painkillers, mm-hmm. morphine, because she n- knew that it would jeopardize her sobriety. And I used to think, my God, how do you, how do you stay positive through that? Like when I look at my life and go, you know, how do I, how do I keep the, on the sunny side? How could I not look at everything I have? I'm so ridiculously blessed every single day. Um, with just the people in my life who have given me such amazing experiences to take and learn and grow from that I it's not work to stay positive it's um it's exactly where I need to be and it's such a gift it's it's such a gift well I know that your sister would be particularly giddy that you're in the van yes this podcast because uh she helped me go shopping for this van and named the van Maggie May after her <laughs> favorite Suzanne Vega song. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Amanda Collins, for joining us on the uh, She Likes to Go Slow podcast. I'm sure we'll try to grab you for another podcast or two because I know there's so many things in your brain and this is just uh, the top of it. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to She Likes to Go Slow. And if you'd like to be part of the podcast, you can find us on Facebook, She Likes to Go Slow, or write us an email at she likes to go slow at gmail.com.